Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I have got another amazing episode for you guys. In this episode, I am introducing you to a an incredible, incredible leader called Marla Morkin. She's been featured in Forbes magazine, Vogue magazine. She has been a Women of the Future UK Awards finalist. And Marla is also a podcast host for the Royal Society of Medicine and their Digital Health Council. She, you know, she's she's a pretty big deal. She's super humble. She's super passionate. She's really, really inspiring. And talk about confidence. We talk about discrimination and diversity and how Marla is shining a light and doing her bit to help promote change. At the time of recording, Marla works for an organisation called Selen Therapeutics. We talk about that. Selen is a healthcare startup looking at personalised cannabis medical-based products for patients living with long-term conditions. And we also talk about networking and putting yourself out there. And I think regardless of where you are in your career... If you want to progress, that is, there are loads of nuggets, there are loads of takeaways that you can get from this. And it is around being brave. And, you know, it's hard to be brave. And there are some I talk, I share some of my own experiences around starting this podcast, you know, like I sat on this idea for absolutely ages. I'm still working on it. There are still some areas where I'm like, I'll just fly under the radar, maybe a bit low key. But we know that if we want to make a big wave, a big splash, then we do have to put ourselves out there. So I hope that you enjoy it. Please share this on social media. And if you like it, please give this podcast an iTunes rating and review. And I will see you in the next episode. So hi, Marla. Thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure, honestly. I feel like you are probably to date one of my biggest guests. That is no, you're being silly here. Okay, that's not true. (laughs) Okay, but we'll come on to that and my listeners will understand why. But can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Okay, yeah. So um, hi, everyone. I'm Marla. I at this current point in my life, I am 25 and a half years old. And um, I am a qualified doctor. I um, decided that being a doctor potentially wasn't the right path for me, though. And a bit about my background was I just really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I suppose there's probably a lot of people that are listening to these types of, you know, podcasts out there about healthcare and the future of healthcare um, trying to work out where they fit into the space and right now there are so many exciting opportunities in healthcare and um, 
and I worked in quite a few different companies throughout medical school. So I was really fortunate to work in some health tech companies um, and some basic technology companies as well. Um, I worked at the European Space Agency uh, looking at glucose tolerance and astronauts, which was really interesting, and at Harvard at their Digital Health Accelerator as well. And so basically all of that combined gave me a bit of a I want to, I don't want to use the word passion, but like, like a need to see change. And when I started working as a doctor, I was frustrated with the system very quickly. And I saw that I was making not as much of an impact as I really wanted to do. So I handed in my notice and I think we're going to talk about it a bit later, but I started working on other projects, more to do with healthcare technology. And I'm so much happier. I'm really invigorated and I'm really thrilled to see what's, ha what's going to come for healthcare technology in the future. Great. So the reason why I said that you are, like you're a pretty big deal. So... When I came across Marla, the first thing I saw was Forbes 30 under 30 in 2018. She'd been featured in Vogue UK as one of their 10 rising female stars in 2018. Um, you are um, a Women um, of the Future UK finalist in 2019. And you are also a fellow podcaster for the Royal Society of Medicine. And you're 25. You make me feel so old. I don't know what you want me to say. To <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I'm so humbled and grateful that that those um, that those awards happened and the opportunities that were there. But I tell you something, it's the it's the people that you meet along the way that give you the stories at, that you can have at the pubs and stuff that are the most interesting, right? And my my friends has not let me lift this down. So the moment that I got featured in the Vogue magazine, in the Vogue in Vogue magazine, um, my friends just took the complete mick out of me from then onwards. And I think that that shows the type of friends and family I have. But I called my dad being like, Dad, I'm going to be in a, in a Vogue photo shoot with Naomi Campbell and he was like and have you finished your coursework I was like well there we go how did the Vogue opportunity come about I think it was from the Forbes 30 under 30 list it must have been like the month after but essentially Nike were doing this fantastic fantastic um um campaign which was looking at uh, the Nike ones uh, the, like the first shoe that was like the big one for them right and they were looking at whether or not um how it can be re-envisioned right and so really topical right now with diversity and all the issues they've got like their top 10 female um creative people or not top 10 but they just found 10 people in Nike and um what they did is they got them to redesign and reimagine their unique shoes um in a way that they wanted it to look for the future generations and then they got 10 people in London so 10 young girls in London who were from different um genres you had like an artist, you had an athlete who was running in the Olympics. We had um, Florence who was, uh, and still is like an Oscar nominated actress. You know, we've got all of these incredible people that came together to celebrate the diversity in London, but the diversity in um, female ambition and um, how we can really be the vision together in the future, which was honestly one of the most exciting days I've ever experienced. <laughs> I bet. Have you got it framed up in your room? 
Like I, I just told you about my friends, right? If if I ever did that, <laughs> do you think that they would ever let me live that down? <laughs> oh my god, I would. I'd have it printed on a T-shirt. I would be <laughs> rinsing that for all that I could. So, where where was the first big opportunity, and how did that come about? Yeah. So this is a, like a big lesson for for everyone, and something that I really preach is is that the opportunities do not come for you you've got to go out and look for them right and I think that we have the same viewpoint on this that it's all about going out there and putting yourself out there as much as possible when I was 15 and I was at school um one of my science teachers had just posted a link to a competition which was to do with space and they were asking us to um imagine what space for space flight would be like in the future and to kind of just do something creative around the topic and the prize was to go to NASA for two weeks and so I completely ignored it at first and I was like oh here's another competition that I won't win or something like that and my mum was actually the one that was at home being like look you're interested by this you like doing creative stuff so why not just give it a go and I missed the deadline but the deadline got extended and so I was like this might be a sign maybe I should just do it so I pulled up my sleeves I created a video um and I got the help of my teacher to um doing that Miss Percy who was fantastic and then that was it basically submitted it and then um it was the announcement for the winners was at the Farnborough Air Show that year and I still remember going down with my dad and younger sister and just being like so excited by the planes and not really minding what was going on and then there was an astronaut there real life astronaut who um read out the uh, the award winners and I was first prize and I was like oh my gosh I, I'm going to America <laughs> this is so cool so so that's kind of what first started it and then from there it was like it was just one after the other it was me just trying as hard as I could in, in any way possible to to just push myself out of my comfort zone and that I really recommend people doing because you just don't know where you'll end up. How do you push yourself outside of your comfort zone if you're really scared? You, you, use the, you use the fear, right? That's it, because you only know you're outside your comfort zone when you're scared. So, I mean, the two of them have to help come hand in hand. And you'll only know if it's successful at the other side of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever... It come across an opportunity and the fear's just got on the better of you and you've just gone, do you know what, I, I, I won't do this one. Yeah. But then I normally talk to my mum or my dad who are like, just do it, like you've got nothing to lose. And I've suddenly become this this motto of apply for everything and choose later, right? Some Sometimes in life, you don't actually put yourself out there because you think actually I won't be able to fit that in with my timetable or maybe that might not be the right thing for me. So you just put your name in the pile and sometimes it works. But look, I think that that itself comes with a lot of problems because let's say I'll put my name down for a hundred things. Of that, maybe 10 will reply to me and of that, maybe one will fruit. And sometimes one of those ones that I had applied for that I never heard back from or rejects me outright might be that one that I really wanted and I have had countless ugly tears like you know when you're just kind of sitting there and your face looks like such a mess and you are like 
like crying so much that it's that it's that it's awful and that is the type of stuff that I have had to, to experience that we all do but and that that comes hand in hand so you've got to you've got to be ready if you're going to put yourself out there that you're going to end up having ugly tears when things don't go right true true and I think that it sounds I'd wanted to do this podcast for ages for absolutely ages and um there is there is a podcast called the general practice podcast and the host of that is now my friend but when I was thinking about starting the podcast and even though our podcasts are so they're both in healthcare but they're so different but when I very first thought I want to start a podcast I did think well I can't I can't I can't do a podcast because Ben's got a podcast and, you know, God forbid two people have got a podcast in the same genre. It's ridiculous, you know, like that. I just can't do that. And then all of a sudden I just thought, Tara, you're being absolutely ridiculous. And one of my regrets is not not starting this podcast sooner. I thought about it years ago. I bought like the domain and everything and was just absolutely petrified and I really don't know why, because no one can see me. Um, they can just hear me. Did you talk to anyone about it? Or did you just live that dream in your head by yourself and, and talk yourself out of it? No, I don't think I did say anything to anybody because my businessy friends got podcasts, but my like my just like normal friends didn't really. And I don't they don't listen to podcasts. So I did think, well, if I tell my friends, they're going to make me like my businessy friends are going to make me do it. But I just did not have the confidence. It's so strange because you talk, we all talk all of the time. Um, but then one day I just thought, why are you being ridiculous? And if it doesn't work, if nobody listens who cares it doesn't matter at least you've tried so I do think I have to have those experiences and I think every time I go on social media every time I put a video up and I was even saying to my marketing manager Katie today I've recorded a video and every time she says can you like edit it can you proof it I think oh like oh, my heart sinks I think oh no that's going to go on social media <laughs> um but you just do it anyway you just get on and do it because you know in order to progress you have to put yourself out there you just there is just there's no other way around it if you really want to make a bit of a splash I completely agree with you and you know one of my favorite lyrics um I think it's a James Blunt song I'm not actually sure I can't remember but but um essentially it said um so I said it goes on the lines of I sent some men to fight and one came back at dead of night He said he'd seen my enemy and he said he looked just like me. Yeah. And that is, that is it, right? That is it. How many times have I talked myself out of doing something? How many times have I negotiated with myself and brought down my own value? It's just crazy. You know, you think I can do that. No, wait, I can't. No, wait, maybe I can't. I really can't do that. And then you kind of just step back. Why have you done that? Why did you do that? And it's just, it's crazy that these things happen, that you just end up being your own worst enemy in so many of these situations. So when we first spoke, you said that you were finishing your doctor training, but you never really had the intention of making it your career. How did you reach that decision? And when thinking about when we've just been talking about when you put yourself out there and you take those leaps and you take those risks, what was the process of you deciding, I'm going to finish but this is not going to be my career. That's a, that's a hard question. Um, 
I think to be honest for me and it was a very personal thing for me it was it was like a gut feeling right like everything just felt wrong and I would go to work and I would give my all and then I would leave work most of the time it was late because it's the NHS and I would call my parents or, or call my friends or call my boyfriend and I would just cry down the phone and it wasn't a one-off it was almost every single day and I, I feel almost you know not not ashamed but I feel like I, everyone else does it you know all the nurses all the doctors they could all do it but I personally I found it it was it was just not sitting right for me and they they call it something like um like moral hits that you take every day at work in the NHS where you and, and in a range of sectors but really in the NHS you cannot provide the care that you and your moral compass wants to provide you are discharging patients prematurely without answers you haven't given them anything they've just you know they've been in the bed and, and they've had all the scans and they, you, they're still on the wiser where they have the pain you've got to discharge them and so doing all of this and knowing I wouldn't want my grandma treated this way yet the system is set up where all of these brilliant brilliant people are working that working so hard to provide care in a system that is just failing them and I was like there must be a way that I can do something to change this and I tried desperately at, at, at the hospital I was at I took on leadership role to um to be in charge of like the doctor's math and try to instigate some really exciting things for like innovation for um for driving welfare for started a newsletter like really tried i even tried like redecorating the space and everything just kept crashing on its face and and it was just so disheartening that i was stuck in a system where like change was just was just so difficult and as a, a person that loves pushing for change and pushing for a situation which is fairer it, it, it felt like I just I couldn't be in it anymore um so yeah it was a very personal thing but it and it, it probably my like you know my bank account could have um, could have benefited from all the locum shifts I could have done um but um yeah it just it wasn't right so you mentioned you where you are now really really happy you're working for an organization a healthcare startup called is it selen therapeutics yeah so so selen is something i never thought i would get into to be honest it is um all about medical cannabis in the uk and for a lot of us it's like a huge topic that we just know really not, not much about and um and it shines because we don't learn about the endocannabinoid system at medical school nor do we hear much about cannabis in the in the media apart from negative connotations to it but yet the uk um yougov poll from last year um suggested that they think that there's 1.4 million uk patients right now here today that are self-medicating in the UK with cannabis and where are they getting it from and what are the stigmas associated with that right and how difficult is it for patients to go out and seek this type of treatment and you know you see that there are patients that um, will go to Holland right before lockdown happened they would go to Holland they would spend £2,000 a month plus travel seeking out the specific medications that worked for them and because we see in other markets that, you know, um, 
you've got uh, like in Canada, it goes straight to recreational um, at the moment, and so you can it's legal to to use cannabis recreationally, which means that there wasn't a lot of emphasis on the medicinal purposes worldwide. Globally, there is a shortage of research that really backs up the evidence, and with our system in the NHS, everything really relies on um, evidence base to put through a public health intervention. So what do we have? We have 1.4 million estimated, probably a lot more than that, but patients right now who are just spending a fortune via the black market, via traveling abroad, by importing, trying to get this treatment. And we both know, right, we know right well that actually the people that are suffering the most are the people that we really should be helping the most as well. And this inequality is something that is just like ridiculous. And we have big big pharma giants that are exploiting patients right to the very core here, the vulnerability of the patients that can't get this over the NHS. So when Selen proposed that they were led by NHS doctors um, and they had created a supply chain that manufactured medical cannabis here in the UK to prove evidence and be research led to drive the change for this population, um, that to me, just spoke volumes and it spoke to you exactly what I was saying earlier, right? That change, that innovation, that how can we how can we scale up something that will really impact the wider society? And look, maybe the research will be done and we'll find that like and down the line there are some really, you know, uh, side effects or long term health um, health concerns for using medical cannabis but the only way we'll know that is by doing research the only way that we're going to be able to support these patients is by doing that and we need to get moving on it because patients just can't be relying on this so I mean that's what I'm doing at the moment it's a it's a startup so I know you're going to ask me what my role is but it's kind of yeah. everything and everything so <laughs> I'm just really excited by it and um, and look if there's just one patient that we can help um, to move off the black market, uh, then that's a good day for me. So it sounds incredible. And I love that usually I speak to the business owner and the business owner is super passionate. And you sound like you're, you like you own it, like you're just <laughs> as passionate, just as knowledgeable. And it's fantastic. And I think I'd like to ask, when you say my role is everything, but what did you apply to do? So this is when the contact things comes in, right? And so one of the like one of the big things is that in healthcare and in medical schools, they do not teach you how to network. They don't teach you how to build a CV. They don't teach you what networking is, how to create a LinkedIn profile, all of these things. And I actually went back to Imperial last year um, after I graduated. And I gave a talk, which was recorded and accessible to the whole of the medical school cohort, which was, how do you get started in a career? Because actually medicine is a very easy conveyor belt, right? Like you just kind of just jump. Once you've got through the hoops to get into medical school, you can kind of just sit there and you're taken very breezily through the conveyor belt. You just pass, pass each year, pass each year, pass each year. And there's a brilliant saying that what do you call um, the medical student that graduates bottom of the year? A doctor. <laughs> so you just need to kind of just get through, right? And then you get to the other side and let's say you want to change jobs. 
Now, how many doctors do we know anecdotally that, that would love to try something different, but just don't even know how to get started, right? And by the time you know it, you've kind of just jumped into a training contract and then you're there and then you're like, oh, I might as well finish. And then I might as well be a consultant now. And now you're a consultant, might as well just do private work and then boom, you're unhappy, right? And that is it. <laughs> that, is, that is the trap that you just don't want to get into because for some, that is exactly what they want to do. They want to be a consultant neurologist and that's that right but for others they've kind of just kind of liked science and medicine at the start and then they kind of ended up going into medicine and ended up being a doctor without any of the wider knowledge right so one of the big things I advocate for is knowing is contacting people right like like what we did on LinkedIn just messaging people and just like having a chat and just seeing where opportunities take you and that was one of the things that I had done is um I'd reached out and um I didn't actually apply for a job. It was more like kind of being a helping hand in an early stage company, um, which I know like now you have to kind of start putting titles on it and stuff, but that is something that like, I don't even mind about as long as I, it's the mission is interesting and the, and the days are interesting, then that is what excites me. So how many people work at Selen? There are four of us working like really full time on it but there are lots of like um uh, we have an intern as well so that's five and then there are like lots of advisors and lots of other people that work along the, the supply chain element as well and what is like your what's the next big milestone that you guys are working to so you've talked about research um how far are you into that process well, see, this is backwards, right? This is this is backwards innovation here right now. And I, and I draw parallels to HIV prep or something like that, right? We've got a use case that's here and it's been, you know, anecdotally shown. So normally the way that a drug will be developed is that there will be lots of research into said drug. The drug will go through the trials. The drug will be trialed. The drug will go to patients. Here it's different. The drug's in the patient's hands, but it's without the research. We've got to wind it back. We've got to now prove the, the research case to be able to actually formally and safely get it back into the patient's hands because right now, where are they getting it from? So I know that we talk right now about research, but research is really at the heart of it because without this research, we can't do anything. So I think that the main, the main aim, right, is to keep going, be really data-led, but also the, the end goal is we, we've got to get this covered by the NHS. And the only way we can do that, research, then the NICE guidelines update. And then, I mean, we're making it sound easy here, but then we can roll it out throughout the CCGs, et cetera. But right now, it's the situation is, is that everyone is kind of hands behind their back. And, you know, we can't do anything until we get this research and we have to be evidence-led. And how many patients are part of your research at the moment? So we're talking, we're talking, right, if we think 1.4 million in the UK estimated that are taking it on the, on the black market, for example, we're talking less than, less than maybe 500 in the UK are probably getting prescriptions, is the estimate as well, right? So these are all things that are just estimates right now. It's hard, right, because other countries, you're looking at tens of thousands of people that are, are having prescriptions of medical cannabis, and that has to evolve over time. But here in the UK, we're just starting a trial. And so I, I mentioned to you that we, we look at um, parallels with, with things like HIV prep and things like that. But actually, the way that we can get this into the 
converting patients off black market onto pharmaceutical grade medications is actually by trials. So we've started this trial um, called Project 2021, which you can find loads of information about online, and we're one of the funding partners for it, which we can actually um, enroll 20,000 patients over the course of a two-year period, which will really, really, really help um, drive this forward. And that, and that is a much more cost-effective solution for the patients, I tell you that. So. Cool, that's amazing. Okay, so moving forwards or moving on to now with the spotlight on diversity and discrimination, I don't know if you'll want to share, but this week you did a webinar. <laughs> yeah. Can you share what that webinar was about and what your role in it was? I did do a webinar. It was on, <laughs> um, I, yeah, so that was on um, reimagining healthcare and inspiring the next generation that's the title of it and this was off the back of a publication that came out very very upsetting that showed that uh, the top 50 ceos in healthcare technology globally and only four of them were women four like that's crazy how how in this day and age can only four people of the 50 be women no one on that list looked like me not one person and so I was frustrated and I put a, I put a LinkedIn post as all things go and um, a webinar fruited from it. And some incredible people came together. Um, and what we did is we created uh, what it was supposed to be was to, to shine a light on this stark inequality between who sits at the top in healthcare systems. However, it timed very, very conveniently, but also very upsettingly again with um, everything that's going on in America and the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, it was hard. Like, I really didn't know what to do. I was the chair for this uh, for this webinar and um, we had five guests on. And I thought that, you know what, this this whole situation now, this is this is bigger than just that article. You know, that article started this, but now it's bigger than this. And this is an opportunity to make our voices heard and to, to, to make a stand and to, to make a real impact. And I was really worried about going into there and being very fruity and like happy and like, you know, you know, we were really positively encouraging change in the NHS and la la la. But luckily we were given the freedom on the webinar to really just speak our truths. And so everyone was bold and everyone was brave and talked about all things from homophobic comments in the workplace to the prejudices that you experience um, being a different colour to your patients. So like, all things to um, just not having a mentor that looks like you. So we really explored it all. And at the end, I kind of, I, I, I just let my hair down and I went with it. And I said, you know, the light has been shone on every other sector. It has been shone on the music industry, on the film industry, it's been shone on the finance sector. And these stark inequalities between leadership has just been highlighted and change has started. Yet in the healthcare system, the light is still not shining. It's not even, the lamp isn't even switched on, right? You know, people are just completely neglecting. And this is from the bottom up, right? This is the treatment that the cleaners get. This is the treatment that the porters get in the hospital. Systemically, the whole system is broken in terms of 
um, in terms of racism, sexism, misogyny, like everything is still there. And the hierarchical structure that sits in that sits in the healthcare system in the UK has just not mobilized, it's just not shifted. And it's so many years that it's been sitting there. And how many people have to sit in silence? How many people have to get abused by their patients before someone makes a difference here? And and it's not even it's not even good enough anymore to say we need to get 50-50 gender equality on the boards of healthcare trusts. Like that's not even good enough anymore because we are failing the people that are sit that are working in the NHS. And how can we treat sorry, I'm so angry about it, but how can we treat <laughs> The general public who have who are by all means a very diverse population we have in the uk but how can we treat them if the people that are making their healthcare decisions don't look like them don't understand where they're coming from you know and and it's such a privilege to sit in those seats to be able to dictate the healthcare of the nhs of the population but that must be a voice that is that that shines diverse voices and uh I just say no I don't know and I'm frustrated and I don't know how it's going to change and I'm just really hopeful that there are enough people now that are being brave enough to step forward and say this is not okay. Do you know what I think Marla Malkin for Prime Minister? No I can't <laughs> I value my sleep too much stop it. <laughs> So we were having a conversation and it's not to make light of it, but we were kind of swapping stories about kind of racist comments and just inappropriate comments. And I mentioned, so there was one incident where um, I went to, it was in a professional environment. I went to an event which I'd organised on behalf of a client and I was wearing a dress and an ex-police officer who now was an apprenticeship um, like assessor came up to me and was like where are you from and I went oh, like Herne Bay and he went no where are you from so I was like, um, my parents are from Nigeria. And he was like, all right, all right. I, I've been to Nigeria before. And um, so we had that conversation. And then he went to me, are those your tribal colours? And I was like, no, no. It's, I just did, and I really liked the dress and he ruined that dress for me. He, I was like, um, no, it's just a dress from Hobbs. And I was with my colleague, um, Kim, at the time. And the one I bring up that story because, and I laugh because, and when I got in the car, I I was kind of like, did that really just happen? It was kind of funny. It was really offensive. I didn't know what to say. I was just so shocked. It was a range of emotions. And those comments, you get the heart, you know, I've had real blatant racist comments made angrily to my face. And then you get comments like that where you generally don't know what to do. You know, you're just like... Who says that to somebody? And he generally think, and I know there'll be people saying, but he's just interested in your culture and your heritage. And, you know, you just think, no. <laughs> no. And, and no. you know what? It's so interesting that you say it wasn't until you got into the car and you start thinking about it a bit more because these things, they happen so quickly. They happen so quickly. You don't notice it. And then it unsettles you later, right? It does. And I think with everything that's going on, I because I wrote, I too wrote a post and shared some of my experiences. And that was one. Um, 
and I was when I worked in a university I was on uh, one of the campuses and a lecturer said we've got a real big intake from southeast London you've only got to look at the place and he made this hand gesture you've only got to look at the place and I was really upset really 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 upset and a couple of comments led to me leaving and you know it's only it's right sometimes you're really hurt and then you kind of move on and then something happens and it all comes it all kind of comes flooding back it's really really difficult it's difficult for both both sides um um but when you're on the receiving end of it it's really 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 hurtful especially when you're working alongside your peers and your colleagues and every now and again something will slip out like that and you'll just be like oh okay when they highlight the difference it's very very difficult I like I have no words like it's just so different as well so for people that can't see me I'm Indian but that is there is a deep deep set of race racist remarks that are made in our community against black people as well there is deep racism in so many areas right that like even you know like fine like you know racism against Indians is one thing but this movement is so different I can't even get my head like I can't comprehend um how it must how it must feel to to just like I just I I have can you see I have no words I just I don't know how to comprehend and I and I struggle with the fact that people are trying to find their own their own discriminate like their own discriminations right now in this movement this isn't about everyone else right this isn't about the sex there's another time for it right like all of these things there's another time for it. this right now is trying to understand what is happening that has meant that there is such deep ingrained racism against the black community against our friends against like the people that we work with that has meant that it's led to this point where we now need to be speaking up so loudly and i i will i will put my hands up and say i didn't know enough i didn't know enough about um about this like about all of the racism that was going on under our nose as not being until i've seen the countless articles the videos the the podcasts and all of these things that you know it, it upsets you on a deep level that like you know that I hadn't had my I hadn't had my eyes on the game here. I thought I did, and I suppose there's many people out there that thought that thought you know oh we're all going through it together you know like oh you know we've all got a bit of discrimination against us. No, this is different, and this is this is bad, and this is wrong, and it needs to and it needs to be sorted out. And if there is literally anything that we can do with our platforms on these podcasts or anything that we can highlight together, then I will be I will bend over backwards to do it because it's just. I'm sorry you've had to go through those examples and I hope that things like that won't have to happen again. I do. It's one of those, I think we all have a platform, you know, regardless of if you've got a podcast, everybody's got a social media. And I think there is, it'll be interesting how I choose to use my platform. I'm not a radical, you know, I won't be out there front and centre. If I'm being really honest, is that I probably don't feel quite comfortable to. That's the truth. 
we are having this conversation. I've never really spoke. I've never spoken about it um, publicly. I think my and I kind of I've really thought about this and I put this in my LinkedIn post. All I will try to do and all I all, all we all try to do is just try to be the best that we can. And that's, you know, I've got three kids, you know, they're mixed. Um, you know, me and Mark, Mark uh, my husband is white. So we've got an inter we've got an interracial family. And it's just so, you know, like we, we've been together for 20 years. It's just our normal life and it doesn't it doesn't come up. It doesn't come up at you know, it doesn't come up in our relationship whatsoever. And my kind of my responsibility and my leadership is in my family and in my community. And when I say my community, it's like from a work perspective. So I work in primary care, it's pretty diverse. Um I'm part of the NHS England Time for Care faculty. That is not that diverse. <laughs> so um, I can see your face right now, but these podcast listeners can't see. Yeah, so that is not diverse. So um, you know, there may be a few positive conversations there, and it's come up before. Like they won't be surprised. You know, like can't be surprised. Um, and I would just, you know, be more low key in my change. And talking to people rather than standing outside, you know, at the town hall beating a drum. And I think there's room for everybody. Everybody has to do what they feel comfortable with, regardless of what, you know, whether you're black or white. Um, I think it is really important to raise the awareness, but I think people need to do it in a way that they feel comfortable with and in a way that they can sustain it. So I can keep doing, you know, I can go to my daughter's school. I can do. And when I say go to my daughter's school, it's like I used to be a governor at my kids school you know I can go in and do business talk so they can see a black woman that is an employer that's got a high six-figure business you know I can do volunteer I can do all of that stuff um you know I've run ultra marathons I can be an example of just I mean a normal person you know <laughs> but do you know what do you know what we need it and I was actually having a discussion earlier about um the role of media right and again I know that this this movement is completely is completely different but like I for me as a for as an Indian girl when I when I look at you know TV shows the Indian girl always plays the Indian girl right it always comes with the ethnicity behind it you know they've always got the accent they're normally the IT guy if it's the guy right like <laughs> these, are, these are the these are the stereotypes, stereotypes that come yeah. with it right so how do we change and and that at a level is it's the same throughout you know the stereotyping is the right word i'm trying to say uh, in the media about who you should be right and this comes down to doctors as well right looping this back to healthcare um, is that like you as a doctor have been told your whole life you treat the, the patient you look after the patient you know in the healthcare profession it's all to do with you know how we can um how we can be the best for the patient is that selflessness right it's that giving the giving the giving why do we sit back and let the patients abuse us why do we sit back and let the system abuse us right and these are all the things that are happening under our noses because we've been trained to think that way because the tv shows show us because our because the you know this is what you know we clap every thursday for the doctors but we don't give them good treatment right like it's just it's crazy how how this is how this is all happening so i think that um there's so much to be done there's just so much on so many levels and i and i have I, honestly you know when you just are like I've no idea where we're going with this but I just know it needs to be done and that's that's where I am right now 
So you've got so much confidence, so much energy. You've done so much. What have you learned about yourself? I think that um, on like a really, on a really like fundamental level, I've learned that I'm not as, I'm not as strong as I thought I was going to be. I mean, look, I've been the most vocal about diversity issues in the past two weeks than I have as a STEM ambassador for women, right? Like, you know, I have, I've been doing all the talks and the shows and being in Vogue and Barbie and all of these things, but have I actually stood up and said, this is wrong? No. And so where has that been? And maybe it comes back to the bravery, right? Is that I've... I think I think I just I'm not as, I'm not as strong as I thought I was I'm not as brave as I thought I was and where does where how do you ignite yourself to do that how do you ignite yourself to keep pushing and it comes back to the first question right it comes with fear it comes with fear but as is my perception is that you spent some time on this podcast very passionately saying this is wrong. You wrote that article which led to a, um, a webinar where you openly said, you know, I, got, I had a rant about this and that it's wrong. So you've just said... You've just said, well, I haven't done that, but you, you, you have, you did it. This, but, I, but this is one of the things I learned and like being able to be resilient with all of these things. Like it was a, it was a privilege to be able to have spoken out and not feel like it was a career defining moment. And we were like, we joke about this before is that like, actually, and it's not like for that webinar, it was fine for me to speak out. Right. But if I was still working in the NHS and I came on a, podcast and I said that there is like deep like discrimination in the workplace and la 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 how would that have gone down is that like and and it was at that time I tried doing all the fluffy stuff like putting on welfare events and stuff that's not what we needed and so having the strength to speak out while it's happening when the problem is happening right in front of you when you're watching your friend having you know someone saying something blase that's obviously offending them and being the strong one to step in and say that's wrong that's what I need to be stronger at is having the ability to just keep pushing for what I believe in because I quit because it was going against my morals so now I need to stand by it interesting interesting I see somebody very different. I will be interested to follow your career and see how um, Selen Therapeutics develops. I have no doubt that you, I think, I don't know if you, would you consider yourself ambitious, but you come across as very ambitious, very <laughs> I think I'll give myself that. I think I am ambitious. I don't want to. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> but that's it, right? Is that you've got, you've got to, because so many of the things that are happening you could look you could look at it and you could say well you know that's the way things are you've got to have the ambition to to change it and to to go and uh, like to go where you don't have mentors and people before you that look like you, you've got to have that bravery and the ambition to do it outside of selling what do you hope to achieve what is your personal mission um, my personal mission is it's about it's about the the people that are, are like around me right like very personal like I'm very I care like a, a lot about my friends my family the people that I love in my life um, are like are everything to me so personally if I can 
if I can help along the way, make sure that the people that I love are feeling loved and like that to me is, is the best thing. But I mean, like, I don't know how many things I can list off, but like societal wise, don't get me started. There are many things I would like to change, but I just like, I just don't, I don't know. And I don't know if anyone has the tools. And it's funny because, you know, we, we talk about like the rooms that we're in and the, the privileged positions that we get to sit in sometimes with these, with these conversations that we have. And people are just like us, right? People are just like us. So if, if, we think about it really the mps they're just humans like all of these things and anyone can be anyone i just need to work out how everyone does what they did and got where that's basically what i'm trying to do now right i'm trying to work out how these people that are making the that making the rules got to where they got and who influenced them and where they're getting the influences from so that we can understand better how these decisions are made so that we can try and change them maybe that a bit crazy? I don't know. <laughs> like, we've just Absolutely got to not. Somewhere. Absolutely not. Where, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? If people want to get in contact with me, like I've got like my LinkedIn's and there is like, you can just Google and um, Marla Morgan and it'll pop up on my LinkedIn. Like feel free to reach out at all. I'm on the Instagram. My phone, my Instagram is always open and my phone is always open. So if there's anyone that ever wants any piece of advice that I can try and help them with, then... Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And if you have listened to previous episodes, again, I want to just I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time I know your time is really precious and valuable and the fact that you have listened to previous podcasts just means an the absolute world and for those of you that have left us a rating and review on iTunes thank you so much and if you haven't and you would like to that would be amazing and thank you for the support that we get on social media for this podcast our ambition for the rest of 2020 is for this podcast just to get bigger and better and to have organisations and thought leaders that represent the field of healthcare to come on to this podcast and share their personal stories, to share their professional stories, to share their business goals and for, and for you guys to share what goes on behind the scenes. It's not all glitz and glamour, it's really hard work and that is, that's the stuff the listeners want to hear I know that's the stuff that gets the most traction when people come on and they're really honest and they're really vulnerable and say this is how it is and um, we can all relate to those stories so we are going to continue um, as we mean to go on and I hope that you guys stick around for the journey if you are not already subscribed, please subscribe to the business of healthcare with Tara Humphrey on your preferred podcast app and if you work in the field of healthcare and you need an extra pair of hands to implement a primary care based project, please come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk.